Welcome, everybody. Uh, this is another uh, event at Relationary. We have special guests today coming from Isaac Sunway. Gentlemen, welcome uh, to Relationary. Would you thank please you. introduce yourselves to our audience? Right. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for having us. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure it's having a really you. Cool place. It's a really cool setup. I'm glad to and, hear. Uh, I'm Harith. Harith. And this is Brian. Brian. Brian, right? So we're both in Isaac and Sunway. And I've been in uh, I've been in Isaac for about three months, and Ryan has been in Isaac for about three months. Three months as well. Cool. So like, we're really passionate about uh, empowering youth, and we feel like uh, mental health is extremely important when it comes to youth. Yeah. See, you guys, you hear that, right? Yeah. It's really important. I'm really, really happy to hear Isaac is really mm -hmm. taking a mental health to the next level. I appreciate that, guys. Welcome aboard, Harry. Thank you so much. Ryan. Thank you so much for having us here. Yeah, yeah it's a pleasure. And also we have, uh, I cannot not mention, also we have a team from Relationary. We have, would you please introduce yourselves? Hello, um, I'm one of the psychologist's assistant, Harry. Assistant? <laughs> 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 um, I'm toxic psychologist. I've been here for like um, almost a month. Yeah. Uh, and I'm Yen Li. I'm a, a clinical psychologist here at Relationary. Wonderful, wonderful. A pleasure to have you guys also with us. And uh, today we have a very important topic, folks. Um, it's it's really, uh, I, I mean, not to mention that this is also a preparation for a big event that is coming up in February. So the topic in February is about uh, unwind. And uh, we're connecting these two, the, the, the whole event with trauma and toxic relationship. So what happened since we've been discussing this with Isaac, they went out and collected some information, collected some questions from the public, from within their group, and they came up with questions. So they're, so they're coming here with questions. And if also, if you have questions, if you feel like we didn't address a specific topic or you want us to elaborate more, feel free to put your questions down below. I mean, we're more than happy to address it. Uh, either by typing or we can do a, a special video on that as well. So let's go ahead. You guys are get, uh, ready for uh, getting the questions or? Yeah, sure. Totally. All right. So, it, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Right. So um, I guess the main two things that we'll be covering today would be uh, traumas and toxic relationships. Mm. So I guess before diving into trauma, uh, new experiences are definitely a part of our day to day. You know, That's it's true. something undeniable. And um, Oftentimes, you know, trying to experience new things, we get hindered a lot because of our traumatic experiences. And uh, I feel like this is something that's uh, a little bit too much to experience, especially for youth. So I was wondering, before actually talking about tackling traumas, how do we define trauma? Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, trauma is one of the things that is uh, so common, yet little that people know about. To be honest, uh, sometimes uh, I also talk about trauma and they're like, "Oh, don't don't dramatize my life. I don't I don't know about trauma. Don't make it so dramatic. Uh, it's no big deal." But actually, we're saying that the term trauma can be triggering to some people. It might be serious, like something serious. Well, it is serious, and at the same time, it's not, because trauma is is a term that we use when when we experience something that is out of the ordinary. Mm -hmm that we feel unsafe, that is really threatening our existence, our safety, our security. Mm -hmm. So you can be traumatized by um, an earthquake. Mm -hmm. uh, you can be traumatized in a car accident, just as much or maybe more or less if you were traumatized by separation mm -hmm. from your loved one. So 
you know, I'm I'm kind of like because this is about Sunway and all that. So international students or students who are you know living different part of Malaysia or travel, that disconnection can be traumatizing if it was not well prepared. It was not um, addressed properly. Mm-hmm. So so the general description of trauma, anything that really impacts my safety or my perception of what is safe to me. I see. Yeah. I see. Do you feel like uh, people with traumas are easy to identify? Are there, are there any specific signs that we can look into? Well, I mean, honestly, I don't think anyone has not experienced trauma. Mm-hmm. I mean, trauma has been existing uh, and uh, I'm sure we, I mean, almost 100% sure mm-hmm. that we all experienced it. It impacts us different way, uh, in different ways, and it impacts us at different levels, different intensities, mm-hmm. and uh, we also cope with it in different ways, and we also cope with it in, in at different intensities and different um, uh, engagement and, and methodologies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Yelly, you want to add on to to that? I would add on. I agree on the part where it comes to different intensities. And it comes, uh, it also associates with the upbringing that you have. Mm-hmm. If you grew up in a, a culture or in a family where whenever there's something close to traumatic, the parents would be there to teach a child how to deal with the emotions, to deal with the experience, mm-hmm. a child will grow up resilient. Or, say, let's say uh, uh, the upbringing has been pretty healthy, when a child experiences any trauma in the future, there is a good amount of resiliency and good chance that this person will bounce back up and the, the traumatic experiences will eventually subside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you feel like families or parents in particular, do you feel like they're more open towards uh, talking about traumatic experiences or they prefer not to talk about it too much and keep it, you know, at bay? I would say it depends on the parents' upbringing. Mm-hmm. Uh, here at Relationship, we, we talk about systemic approach. Mm-hmm. So if the parents grew up whereby their parents do not talk about this kind of experiences, they would think it's either it's a no-no, it's a taboo, it's just really awkward, we don't talk about it. And the parents might bring that culture to their future children. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't say if it's uh, family or parents specific, but it's more of the, the culture within that whole system. Right. Right. So you guys have told us the impact of trauma. Mm-hmm. So let's dive a little bit deeper. So can you explain to us what causes trauma and how do we as human beings manage trauma? Mm. What causes trauma? Yeah. The, I mean, people cause trauma to other people. But you mean like how what causes trauma within ourselves? Mm-hmm. Okay. So so the event when an event happens, it happens either by people or by external, you know, by external resources or triggers that is really out of our control. Mm-hmm. So the way we perceive it, it can. Uh, so, so so let me back up a little bit. So every event that we experience, mm-hmm. it's actually stored in our brain, right? So we start it in our memory. Uh, the emotions, the colors, the, uh, the even the smell, uh, the feel, all of these things are stored in our memory. Mm-hmm. Now, when we experience an event that is not something that we're familiar with, so the brain doesn't know what to do with it. The brain wouldn't know how to store this. 
do I start it as of learning or do I start it as of something dangerous or do I start it so the brain kind of dispersed because it's in distress because it feels unsafe so it disperses all this memory across the whole brain mm-hmm. usually it saves it in uh, in the in the memory with the amygdala where the emotions are there but when the emotion is triggered of fear so then the fear is trigger is actually connected in the brain with this event that is actually dispersed across the whole brain so it's not really saved in a certain in a certain area mm-hmm. that's why when we are traumatized we get triggered sometimes we don't know what's really triggering us because we cannot recall that memory because mm-hmm. that memory is all over the brain so we just recall the fear and we call the event but we can we can recall a, even our perception of the event not necessarily the event mm-hmm. but what happened uh, so so for example um a car accident or you know a car accident got in you know you, you were involved in a in a car accident and in a car accident you hear uh, you know horns you hear a uh, screech of you know the the wires uh, mm-hmm. I mean, the wires the tires mm-hmm. are screeching you know the, the burning the smell even the the the, the burn of the rubber Mm -hmm. so sometimes you you know like two or three years later you walk by a factory who make that make tires and you smell that smell and all of a sudden you're irritated you cannot stand it anymore you don't know what's triggering it but it's really something that you just cannot and you be it'll impact your function in that Mm -hmm. in that area so the brain is not able to figure out what's what's happening but the brain remembers this smell is danger Mm So therefore, the brain goes in a distress mode, and that's really what causes the post-traumatic stress disorder, mm-hmm. is because of a trauma. So post-traumatic is something that happens, uh, uh, something that we experience after the trauma. And this is just an example that I get exposed to something that smells like rubber, but it actually has nothing to do with the factory. It has nothing to do with that environment. But in the in my mind, it's connected to fear. It's connected to uh, unsafe uh, feeling or insecure feeling. Mm-hmm. And uh, the body goes into distress, the, uh, the cortisol level, which is really what causes us to even more, more to be distressful. It increases higher and then the body and the, the blood pumps hot faster, we breathe faster, and we don't know really what's happening to us. Mm-hmm. So that's like in a synopsis, basically. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I see. And, um, you know, in the beginning, you said that almost everyone has experienced uh, you know, traumatic experiences. Do you feel like there's a silver lining towards it? Do you feel like having experienced traumatic experiences, does it, does it strengthen you in, in, a, in a way? Hmm. Yeah. And something that in my practice, when I see my clients, is something that I always emphasize to my clients. Because a lot of the times when something traumatic happens, we tend to to either internalize it, we blame ourselves, or we blame our surroundings. Mm-hmm. And the triggering part is, when I talk about a situation, it's just so much emotions flooding in again. And it takes some time to adopt the mindset, well, thanks to this experience. Mm-hmm. We know, I'm not saying that this, this experience is acceptable. However, thanks to this experience, what did you learn from it? Had you not gone through this experience, you would not know the importance of friendship, for example. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't know the importance of uh, love, for example. And it would take uh, my clients some time to think, well, I guess 
had I not gone through this, I would not know what I what I uh, long for now. What's important for me? Right? Mm-hmm. So there's always a silver lining. Mm-hmm. And was it easy for them to come to that realization that look um. You know what? I went through the experience, and now I'm a, I'm a better person. I'm, I'm a bit more stronger. It will take some time because how our brain works. Mm-hmm. This is our thinking. This is our emotions. When we talk about something traumatic, emotions are really high. When emotions are high, thinking cannot happen. It always goes on a seesaw kind of uh, analogy. Mm-hmm. So what we would do is to allow ourselves to experience it. It is very traumatic. Now you're gonna learn some coping skills on how to reduce the emotions then you can start to think of the civil life mm-hmm. if i were to give you an example i think uh last year i got into a car accident oh no at that point <laughs> very traumatic you remember <laughs> yeah. it was very traumatic i was like oh my goodness i i like to believe i'm a good driver how did that happen mm-hmm. and it, it was very traumatic i was uh, fearful of the repercussions from the angry drivers, from my family, so on and so forth. And I was feeling really numb in that first few uh, hours, I remember. But later on, when the feeling dies down, I remember when I talked to my parents, they were all, uh, my parents and my family, they were all calm. And uh, my mom was trying to ask, um, the people that you hit the car, did they get angry? And on the spot, my dad was like, ah, don't ask about this thing. I was like, oh, my dad had some sensitivity. <laughs> so thanks to that experience, I thought, oh, had I not gone through this, I didn't know my dad was really cautious about the feeling as the event was too fresh. So I would say in that situation, that is a silver lining for me. Mm-hmm. I learned that my dad has this kind of sensitivity. Mm-hmm. And building building on what you just said about uh, mm. that emotional and that ability to think, right? How it's mm. like a seesaw. So when you go through a traumatic experience and you know your emotional state is you know all the way up here, how do you how do you manage that at that instant? We understand what's the purpose of the emotion. Mm-hmm. What is the emotion trying to tell us? I strongly believe every emotions, if we dive deep down, there's good intention. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, this is part of uh, one of the trainings that I did called Mastering Myself and I teach the participants the, the purpose of the emotions. Mm-hmm. Let's say when something is triggering, we start to feel uh, really angry. As I dive down with my clients, the purpose of anger is because I feel like my boundaries are being disrespected. Mm-hmm. So, but I don't know how to tell people that I don't like it, that my boundaries have been disrespected. So what's the easiest way we know? We just get angry. Mm-hmm. So every time someone's tried to talk back at me, my natural instinct is to just shout and scold at the person. Mm-hmm. But if, now that you have that knowledge and you look at it, any person that's angry, deep down, they just want to tell you, can you please listen? Can you please hear me out? I just want to be heard. Mm-hmm. So. As we understand what's the purpose of emotions, we'll realize, okay, so my emotions are validated. And now that I know what's the true intention the emotion is trying to tell me, I can respond differently. I don't need to react anymore. I see. I, I want to mention something really important about the how. 
it's not i mean i wish it's a cookie cutter right i mean it doesn't necessarily work the same way for everybody right mm -hmm. and that's why that's why there is therapy that's why there is uh counseling uh, that's why there's a psychological uh, profession that would help people based on their needs based on their capabilities uh, that would fit that would they would find them a, a solution that would fit for themselves so that's why you can't read a book about how to manage uh, trauma and you'll be all say oh it worked for me it's wonderful it, it doesn't work like that so if you really have these um, experiences in the past or maybe you're not even aware of it as long as you feel like at sometimes you feel it's impacting your daily function then there's something happened that you probably don't know about and that's where you need to reach out for professionals uh, and they will tell you how to do it you can try there's no harm in trying but uh, it's really important to keep that option to reach out to a professional I'd like to add on that. Could you tell us a little bit more? Like, let's say if someone were to reach out to you, but they aren't sure what is going on in their life, what distress are they going through, but they do realize that it does affect their daily activities and their daily function. So how would you guys normally go through this process? Well, I mean, it's it starts really by them reaching out. Mm. Once they reach out uh, and they can give us the symptoms of what they are experiencing, then it's just a matter of really for them to go through either assessments or interviewing or both. And then that would help us understand a little bit more. From our perspective, based, based on our knowledge in psychology and how psychology works, we make the dots. We make the connection between the dots. And we come up with a hypothesis. We tell them, this is what appears to be happening. How does that sound? I mean, that's one way to do it, right? So so we go about it, and then if they feel like this is something that they're willing to explore and improve, then that's where the treatment starts. Mm -hmm. So it starts with diagnosis, and then it becomes discovery. Yeah. If I may add on, ideally, that's what we hope to happen. Sometimes when the, the event is still very strong in their mind, or they have suppressed it very well, they may not be ready to do something about it. And on our end, we would just have to respect them and to just uh, give an open arms that whenever they feel that they want to talk about that situation that they have been uh, holding on for a number of years, for example, then uh, they can reach out to us. Mm -hmm. So, as much as we have the tools, we really need to wait and see. We will do our best to to encourage the, the person to start to work on their trauma. But if they are not ready, we need to respect them. Because mm -hmm. trauma is a very tender kind of wound. And imagine, I think that was the analogy from what you used before. It's like there's a scar and we're... Uh, killing off that whole scar. It's going to be really raw and we really need to take our time to really heal it. And if they are not ready to peel that off, because peeling it is freaking painful, part of our language. So whether the client is ready or not, we need to respect that. Mm -hmm. hmm. Yeah, that's a very important point. I agree. Uh, may I add on? So what do you usually tell your clients who aren't really ready to open up, but you do want them to open up because you do see that it does affect their life? 
So what are like the things that you might tell them to try to convince them to open up? Mm, questions I may ask is how helpful has it been for you so far? And if let's say they know very well that the habit they're doing right now is not helpful for them, and uh, I would go along the line of asking questions like, is this the life you want to live 10 years from now? Do you see yourself doing this for another 10 years? To, to really get into the head, to, to think, since now there's a professional in front of me, do I want to take the opportunity to start working on it? Yeah. And, and the purpose is really not to convince them. Mm -hmm. it, it, the purpose is really for them to understand that one way is that for them to understand is that this is not going to disappear by itself. Mm -hmm. it, it's going to continue. If you don't do anything about it, it's going to continue to hurt. Yeah. So like if the, if the person would tell the doctor, oh, it hurts when I do this. Mm -hmm. uh, and the doctor is like, don't do that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, that's also true. But do I want to stop doing that for the rest of my life? Mm -hmm. But if I really want help, then I need to go and make an appointment with the doctor. That's why the doctor is like, don't don't do that, because he's not in his clinic. He's not in you know to to do his own assessments or her own assessments. So I just tell you, don't do that. But if you really want to treat yourself, you want to you want to make yourself feel better, you need to come to my clinic, and I'll more than happy to <laughs> address your pain and treat it. And that's why we actually. Ask these questions or um, have the client to take a moment to reflect how would they like to live like this for another 10 years? And that's really up to them. Mm -hmm. If they're okay with it, that's absolutely fine. Mm -hmm. If they if they are able to cope with whatever it is that is blocking them to a function the way they want to, that's totally also fine. Mm -hmm. It's totally up to them. Right, so if, um, let, let's say I'm person A and Brian's person B, and we both come to you with different you know, two different experiences, and both of us are traumatized. Would you use a same template towards helping us, or is there, is there like a scale that you follow to, you know, tackle it? Scale. I've, I've seen him met by like, maybe procedure, like how would you handle yeah. this I, situation? I would say the, the idea, the concept is the same, but how we deliver it, it's, it's, uh, it varies depending on the client. Mm -hmm. So, but the concept behind it is pretty much the same. The guidelines are pretty much the same. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The concept on how to treat it, the concept on how to approach it is pretty much almost the same. Mm -hmm. But uh, the details on what works and what's not is really specific to the client. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. But since we're also talking about toxic relationships, um, what are the forms of trauma when it comes to toxic relationships? What does one go through? Well, when it comes down to toxic relationship, it's a it's really tricky because um, toxic relationship is very subjective and at the same time is is very based on on someone's perspective. Mm -hmm. So. If you were to uh, bring someone from New York for the first time visiting Malaysia, mm -hmm. 
maybe all the people that meet this person probably who would they would feel traumatized i mean a specific area from new york they're very outspoken they're very nice people but the way they speak it might rub people the wrong way here mm -hmm. so they might feel like oh this guy is really not nice and they might think that this is a toxic person but he's not he's maybe one of the best people in you know one of the biggest well-known people in his own community as to be the friendliest and the nicest mm -hmm. So just need to be mindful that if you feel like you're in a relationship that is toxic, that's, there's a possibility that it's a perception. So it's not always a cookie cutter that it is definitely a toxic relationship. So there is, that could be a perception. It could be a mismatched values or mismatched priorities. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's actually, it could be really toxic. I mean, that's, that's just another, another way to look at it. Mm -hmm. So... So the question is, is like, what, what, what makes a relationship toxic? Is that what I, what I heard? Did I remember the question correctly? Uh, it's the form of trauma when it comes to toxic relationships. Yeah, the, the toxic relationship can be traumatizing when the person who's being traumatized get the sense that they're no longer, in, they're no longer secure mm -hmm. in that relationship. For example, couples, when one partner finds out about the other partner is cheating, that's traumatizing. Mm -hmm. That is traumatizing because they feel insecure in that relationship. Mm -hmm. So it's impacting their existence in that relationship. So that image that they have for themselves is clashing and they don't know what to do with it. So the brain stores it and it gets basically traumatizing for them. Mm -hmm. So that impacts their behavior, impacts their engagement in the daily life and it and it also impacts their well-being and, and all that stuff that happens with PTSD. Mm -hmm. So so that's one form of traumatizing uh, or uh, a, a toxic relationship can be traumatizing. If there is a repeated feeling of being um, scared or feeling that you're like walking on eggshells, mm -hmm throughout your relationship with this person that can also develop to become traumatizing so uh, also sudden of changes of behavior when there is a normal behavior and all of a sudden becomes toxic meaning mm -hmm. it could be criticizing could be invalidating could be cutting off could be disappearing could be a lot of things mm -hmm. uh, and it could be also like a gaslighting it could be a lot of things that could be ca uh, causing the, 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 the toxicity in the relationship so that can make that that direct change traumatizing mm -hmm. so trauma can be three types so one type is an acute trauma mm -hmm. there's nothing cute about it really but it's called an acute trauma because it happens once so it's an acute trauma because it happens once and and it can it, the PTSD can last for um, maybe forever or might be not right mm -hmm. so that's called an acute trauma, and, and there is the the trauma that that is uh, persistent and it's repeated so that's a chronic trauma mm -hmm. that continuously happens every day you feel insecure every day you're being bullied every day you're being criticized right uh, every day you feel like you're not worth you're not enough you're not doing enough you whatever you do you're lazy whatever you try to do and you're, so you never feel acknowledged mm -hmm. so that is an uh, a, this is really a continuous perpetuating trauma 
Um, so the PTSD is like, like a daily thing. Mm -hmm. And the third type of trauma is the complex trauma, which is a combination of two. It could be, it could have happened once and it disappeared. And then, uh, yeah, there's one more thing that is important to mention. So the, the acute trauma could happen once from different people or from different environments, but it could happen multiple times in, in, the, in someone's life, right? They could be traumatized from different uh, sources. The, the, uh, the chronic trauma is occurring from the same person or from the same environment. For example, like when the, the frontliners during the, uh, during the corona, mm -hmm. it, it's traumatizing day in and day out from the same source of environment. Mm -hmm. So this is considered to be chronic uh, trauma for them. And, and it, it prolonged for quite a long time. So for them, it's repeating seeing people dying, seeing people, you know, they try to help out, but they're not able to. And all this stuff is considered to be traumatic for them. Mm -hmm. So that's considered chronic. So if you combine these two, if they're chronic, if they're in that environment and they got a car accident, and then they lost another person in their lives, and they got a divorce, all these are multiple acute. Mm -hmm. So they have multiple acute, and you have a chronic, so that's called complex trauma. So mm -hmm. there's a complex trauma. That's the most difficult one to really treat because it takes a lot more to discover and to untangle and to help the person to get over that and to grow mm -hmm. hmm. so the toxicity it can be acute it can be chronic and it can be also a combination of both mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right and so like with relationships um relationships they take a lot to nurture you know it takes mm -hmm. years right so when you go into a relationship uh, let's say you've been in a relationship for about 10 years yeah. and um your partner cheats on you, mm -hmm. right? So you're trauma you're traumatized by that by that event, but you don't want to leave that relationship because you are again like too familiar with that relationship. Familiarity kills you there, mm -hmm. right? And you feel like you've put in too much energy towards building that relationship. How do you tell that person that look, hey, this is this is killing you on the inside. You should take a step back and rethink about it. We don't tell people what to do. Mm -hmm. uh, it's if they really want, if they feel like this is important for them mm -hmm. and it's better for them, we help them to work that relationship. Mm -hmm. We help them to grow that relationship, but we need both of them. We need the husband and the first wife mm -hmm. to be in sessions to work on the relationship. Mm -hmm. We don't tell the husband what to do I mean, for, because we have some, we have culture here, the Malays, the Muslims, they allow the Muslims and, uh, and the Mormons, they allow multiple marriages, right? Mm -hmm. So, if, if that's their culture, I'm not here to tell them what to do. Mm -hmm. But if there is an infidelity that the culture that they're in does not accept it, mm -hmm. so that's something that they need to decide. If they want to develop their own culture and have that relationship or not, that's up to them. Mm -hmm. I'm not here to tell them what's right and what's wrong. I'm here to make sure that the relationship is healthy enough for them to realize if this is good enough for me or not. Mm -hmm. Because if they are traumatized they're reacting so they are reacting because they feel they are in uh, competition mm -hmm. so therefore you know you can't take my man from me so uh, I'm gonna go and make sure that I'm staying until I kick you out but that's a reaction to that uh, sense of uh, I'm not uh, you know it could be like uh, seeing that person as a threat 
but but it's not really focusing on the relationship itself mm-hmm. right so therefore their their the intention is not for themselves to have a healthy relationship mm-hmm. the intention is for them to revenge from the other person mm-hmm. so therefore i'm not here to tell them what to do but i can tell them by by not focusing on a relationship is really impacting your well-being it's going to impact your relationship with your uh, husband with your boyfriend or whatever or the future uh, relationship that you might have mm-hmm. so therefore taking advantage and learning from the current situation deciding whether you want to work on a relationship or you want to separate or you want to keep things as is right. and that's their decision Mm. Right, so you mentioned earlier that there are like toxic relationship, like maybe a trait specifically. It doesn't mean that that person's being toxic. It could be, as Mr. Amar mentioned earlier, like maybe misaligned values. So how would a person identify a toxic trait? Like how would they specifically need to feel to like, hey, this is not supposed to be happening in my relationship? Well, some, and that's the sad story. Sometimes they don't know. Yeah, sometimes they wouldn't know. Sometimes they would know a bit too late. Uh, Or sometimes they just stay in it and not knowing what. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I think when someone's in a toxic relationship, sometimes I hear that um, maybe their body reacts negatively around this person. Maybe they feel. Because, like, when someone uh, experiences someone, like, negative continuously, I think they will have, like, a physiological feeling around them that react negatively towards the person and I think they will kind of notice that they don't feel good around this person, they don't feel safe around this person. Maybe sure. that's why they can think like maybe my relationship is toxic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the the feel of dreading being around this person is a sign that this person is toxic. Uh dreading meeting them, dreading seeing them, dreading picking up the phone. It's like oh, Hello. I mean, that that's just, you need to know about yourself. You're not really seeing this person as a friendly person. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. Thanks, Grace. Yeah. So, did that address, I mean, uh, the, the question, do you think, or do we need to elaborate more? Yeah, I think it answers the question. Oh, yeah, good, good. All right, so, um, there's another question that we have. Uh, why do people tend to run away from um, unresolved past or unresolved uh, traumatic experiences? Uh, especially when it comes to uh, toxic relationships and how can we guide them towards you know resolving it mm. not mm. bottling it in well like you heard earlier it's a mm-hmm. wound right it's mm-hmm. very painful they don't want to deal with the pain mm-hmm. and they feel like if they went back and to uh and to, uh, you know to understand the past and mm-hmm. uh, it's like what's the point why so negative but they don't, they're missing out the opportunity of growing from the pain. Mm-hmm. Because when we understand the pain, folks, it's really important for us to understand what's causing us the pain. Because that's really where we need to improve. And that's what we need to focus on so we develop the new skills. That's why we continue to have the pain. And the more we stay away from the pain, the more we stay away from the skill that we need the most in our lives. Mm-hmm. So it's blocking us from not knowing how to remove the pain and how to grow from that past pain. You wouldn't know what you're missing. You wouldn't even know what you are capable of doing because you're not even able to deal with the past pain. And that's why it's important to acknowledge, to reach out, to get the professionals to really heal that pain. Just like um, 
if you hurt your your ankle or you hurt your knee, mm -hmm. do you want to limp for the rest of your life and not ever play soccer again or or mm -hmm. play basketball or whatever? Because I cannot play basketball. I hurt myself. Well, if you go to a doctor, if you go to a pain specialist, they can help you with that and you can mm -hmm. still play basketball. So you don't have to prevent yourself or block yourself from what's happening or what happened in, you know, the fun things that you would like to do in your life just because of the pain of past pain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If I may add on, when someone goes through something unexpected, they need to find a way to cope with it. Most of the time, the way they cope with it, it's going to be effective. It might not be healthy, but it will be effective. So let's say I've gone through something traumatic, say, um, with uh, uh, authorities, for example. And I find it the effective way is to avoid the authority. I'm just not going to deal with that for the rest of my life. Now, at one point, you will find yourself, you will start to think that this method of coping is no longer going to be effective. So as much as uh, most of the time people don't want to address the trauma because I'm doing fine right now. Why do I need to go and leave the past? Everything I'm doing right now is okay. But I strongly believe that what you're doing right now is effective, but it's only temporary. At one point, going back to the example of the ankle pain, at one point, it's mm -hmm. going to hurt out of blue and you wouldn't understand. I thought I was okay. How come the ankle pain is coming back? So what we do here is to help them to, to discuss with them how can we have an even more effective coping style Mm -hmm. that you can carry through and you have the ability to uh, to adjust throughout your phases of life and you will flourish even compared to I'm just going to avoid because it has been effective so far. That's great, yeah. And in fact, though, um, speaking on toxic relationships, we've done uh, multiple surveys and it is, uh, it's, it's a topic that most of the youth are actually worried about it's on the top of the list next mm -hmm. to traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. So do you have any particular message towards uh, the youths going into relationship or youths that are already in relationships? You know, do you have any special message for them? Reach out. If it doesn't feel right, reach out. Ask the professionals. They'll tell you if it's okay or if it's normal, if it's something that you need to improve on. Uh, it's really important to reach out. Phone calls, I mean, we offer a 15-minute phone call. It's for free. You can come and call us. I feel like this. Is this really worth it? Yeah, it sounds like it. Based on what I'm hearing, yeah, probably. You need to do, check it out. Mm -hmm. But based on what I'm hearing, maybe it's coincidental because of the stress around the exams and stuff. That's normal. If you're able to cope with it, you don't need to do anything about it. Mm -hmm. But if this persists for a day, I mean, we can give you some guidelines. But reaching out is very important. I would say the more the individual is comfortable with themselves, they know how to define themselves, the more they will look a relationship that will complement them, that mm -hmm. will add value to their life. A lot of individual clients that I see when they're not happy about their relationship because they don't really know who they are, just opportunity comes by, this guy, this girl likes me, so I'll just go ahead with it. And to my knowledge, I realized later on, this relationship is not the one for me, but how do I break up with whether they're not happy. So, 
how comfortable do you uh, feel about being yourself? I've heard cases where the guy tries to impress. So the guy is not being true to himself. He just went on trying to impress the girl. It turns out the girl was also trying to impress. So two person not being authentic to themselves, the relationship did not last at all. Mm -hmm. Because they are not comfortable being themselves. They don't even know who they are. If you don't know who you are, you will not you will not be clear and confident about what kind of relationship am I really not in. Uh, I may add on. I think if you're talking about youth, I feel like um most of us haven't had a lot of experience in relationships. So I think that um, we should be open to making mistakes. Like maybe some of us might accidentally hurt our partners or have like some toxic traits. But I think as long as we are open to listening to our partners and trying to fix our mistakes, then I think um, it's, a good, it's a good mindset to have. Mm-hmm. Alright. Mm-hmm. Alright, so can I add on? So we have been talking about the victim that in a toxic relationship, how does that person, you know, being traumatized, when to seek help or when to know your partner's toxic? Can we talk about from another perspective, which is the person who's actually toxic in the relationship? Mm-hmm. So how do these type of people, you know, maybe like they did something wrong, like cheated. Mm-hmm. That can be considered a toxic relationship because you make your partner insecure, right? Mm-hmm. So how does like the people who cheated and they know that they did wrong, like how would they want to do that? Maybe it's like they feel like uh, they've done it once and they felt great, but they didn't realize like how bad it hurt his partner. Could be anything, doesn't need to be cheating. So how would that person like try to fix themselves from this toxic trait? Well, it comes down to infidelities or any cheating in a relationship. I mean... We don't want to limit this only to uh, people in a romantic relationship. Uh, also, this can happen between a person at work and their boss. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, the the person, like the subordinate, would be like giving a face to his boss or her boss, mm-hmm. and then they actually take directions from another person or from the boss's boss. So there is trust issue here so the trust can be broken when there's infidelity so this is a form of infidelity like when when i'm supposed to be loyal to someone and my direct report to my dad for example or to my boss or to my mom and all of a sudden i go talk to my auntie and i talk to my mom well my auntie said this and that and why don't you be like my auntie that can <laughs> that can trigger the mom Right, can trigger the dad. So that's a form of disloyalty, if you want to call it. But that's a, a, a general, a more general form of infidelity. So it's the same concept. There's a loyalty there that is broken. Mm-hmm. So the question is what? Uh, how would you want to deal with it? Like change yourself? Yeah. So therefore, it's not about me changing myself. If this is happening between two people, I need two people to come in in here because it's not that I need to fix one or the other. I want to fix the relationship. That's why we call this as a relationary. This is a place to fix relationships. Woohoo! Really smooth. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. Okay, so like um, it's just based on personal experience. I think I have been toxic in several relationships. I've been told I'm manipulative, toxic, insensitive, and things like that. So I think it depends on the person whether they want to be remorseful or not. So I think if because people will call you out, you know, if they're not happy with how you are in your relationship. So when they do that, you understand and you don't do the same mistake in your next relationship. So I think that's how they learn. Mm. But if they really like the person, I think. They would try to change themselves for the person like in the same relationship. Yeah, just by the feedback from their partner. Right. Feedback from the partner for what? To about the toxicity of the relationship. Uh, yeah, because they ask like, um, how do you, how does how does a toxic person? How does a toxic person? That change themselves. And that's the toxic person is asking that question. Yeah, like on the toxic person point of view. Interesting. Um, I personally believe that if you're in a toxic relationship, you will learn how to cope with it. You will not learn how to get out of it. You're stuck in it. Simple as that. Mm -hmm. You will probably, you'll be, if you're future, if you're like, for example, if you were to break up with your toxic partner today, then you have a new partner who's like, I'm not going to pick another person who's toxic. I'm going to pick a nice guy. What, guess what happens if I were like if I were to say like I I have a a toxic you know girlfriend in my life mm -hmm. right and I'm gonna the next one I'm not gonna be I'm gonna make sure that she's not toxic guess what my behavior might cause her to be toxic I'm not changing I'm not learning anything but I feel like it's because the other person is causing it to me to be toxic it's not necessarily my behavior is allowing that toxicity. It's like I'm as if I'm expecting it from the other person, mm -hmm. almost telling them so like torture me, you know, just like <laughs> abuse me, and and that's and that really happens. That really really happens in many many different relationships. But I can do this for so long until I'm just drained, until I'm just don't know what is right, what is wrong, and then I'm just dead inside. I'm no longer existing. So, so that's too late for, for me to learn anything. Uh, and honestly, I haven't learned anything from all the private, the, all the previous uh, uh, toxic relationships mm -hmm. uh, because it's me repeating the same pattern and the other person is maybe reacting to mm -hmm. that. This is where we talk about how it's a 50-50%, right? 100%, yeah. So to add on what Omar said, we bring if we don't learn about our 50 percent what we're bringing to the relationship we're just going to keep bringing the same 50 percent to the next and the next and the next relationship mm -hmm. so even though that person is a really good person but we're just bringing that same 50 percent you, you're not going to expect things is going to be a very nice happy ending mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, like uh, last week i did a we did a here we did a very nice discussion with the team and, and uh, people attending uh, about how to grow your love, how to grow the love. I mean, it could be your your love to your siblings, the love to the parents, love to your children. It could be a love about anything. And it was quite a foreign uh, language that I was speaking because people like, well, what if they were toxic? What if they're bullying me? How am I going to grow my love? Like, But that's the 50% you're bringing into the relationship. Mm -hmm. If you really want to bring love to the relationship, you can bring it. But accepting toxicity, accepting bullying, accepting abuse is not going to work. Talking is very important. Mm -hmm. And that's really the most important part is 
when we want to work with uh, uh, you know anybody in a toxic relationship, we need to teach them how to talk, mm -hmm. how to communicate. Generally speaking, if you are feeling unheard in any relationship, it's very much, very, there's a very high chance that it's toxic. I really like what you guys mentioned about that 50% thing, mm. about two people bringing something to the relationship, because it's something that I can uh, sort of relate to, but something that my dad always tells me as well, is that mm. it takes two to tango. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. you know when, when I'm with your mother, it takes two to tango. So I bring this part of the relationship, this aspect of it, and then your mother brings this aspect of the relationship. Yeah. And together, Very wise complement man. each other's personalities, yeah. you know, our weaknesses and all that, and we move towards making that relationship beautiful for us and for the kids. So yeah. I, I like that 50% thing. Yeah. It's really good, yeah. And it's true also not only for married couples, it's true mm -hmm. for children and parents. Mm -hmm. You know, child-to-parent relationship, parent-to-child. It's 50-50. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can control that 50 to make the other 50 mm -hmm. more positive. We can bring that positivity to the other 50 by charge, by starting it. Mm -hmm. mm. What about to, to go on the other end where what made a person become a toxic person, become a, maybe you would call them as an abuser. I like to think that if we were to really sit down and talk to them, deep down they're going through something as well. And the way they cope with it is to be that dominant, toxic person. And just thought of sharing that as well. That it's, it's not easy to empathize with someone who's toxic, who is abusive. Mm -hmm. But once you get to know their stories, you would see that while they are just really trying to relate to the other person, they just did not know how to. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, um, and I would like to also add to that, uh, some people can be in toxic relationships and even though the other person is toxic, like I mentioned earlier, there may be causing that toxicity. Uh, if the other person is saying something and they feel like they're not being heard, they can be toxic or you'll be feeling the one who, you'll be the one who's feeling unheard and you'll be mm -hmm. feeling the, re you'll be the one who's receiving that toxicity. Mm -hmm. So if you feel like your needs are not met, no matter what you say, no matter what you do, the other person is either reacting or consciously behaving that way. If they're consciously behaving that way, it's a problem within that person. We need to work on that. But if they are reacting to them also not feeling heard, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. then there's a, like a, a cycle of negativity happening here that we can, we can fix it. We can definitely fix it. But if it's something that is, I'm coming as, I'm entitled. I'm better than you. Uh, and this happens with parents, honestly, with towards the children. And, and I can speak a little bit about from a Muslim perspective because that's who I am. I believe in, I'm a, I'm a Muslim. So I, I met a lot of Muslim parents and I can only, I've also heard a lot of stories from my Christian friends that the parents tell them what needs to be done from an Islamic perspective, from a religious perspective, as if they are actually their own hell and, and, and heaven. It's like they tell him the right and wrong, the um, what they're supposed to do to the nitty gritty everything, to the eating, to the setting, to the, and they don't allow them to develop that. Not allowing your child to develop that relationship. We're talking about relationship. If you are representing God, 
you are presenting a toxic relationship to your child about God. So the God, the child will wake, will grow up thinking God doesn't ha doesn't love me, God doesn't understand me. So my relationship with God is just like my mom or like my dad. They're very demanding. They don't understand the pain I'm going through. So forget this religion. And you see your children are walking away from your religion. And no matter how much you scream and how much you yell, you're not gonna be. They're not gonna hear you because. Their perception of the religion is coming from you. Your perception of what religion is supposed to be. But as parents, you're supposed to allow your children to develop that uh, skill to build that relationship with their God. Uh, if that's so important to you, you allow them to make mistakes at a younger age. And, you know, I haven't seen any Christian or Muslim that didn't believe that God is forgiving. So I don't understand what happened to forgiveness. I just, mm -hmm. it really baffles me sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so sometimes we present another person as being toxic, but they're not really toxic. So we, we react out of fear when we always see that person as toxic. Mm -hmm. This happens a lot with, with parents. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, I've worked with the Rohingya. I've worked with, they are scared of the police and the children are traumatized by the police. But the police sometimes are sometimes them you know people are people right sometimes they're helpful sometimes they're not mm -hmm. but they're just you see the police and they just run away like i mean they're just traumatized they're, that's they feel the police is gonna traumatize them is gonna be mm -hmm. toxic to them so they're presented that view by the parents the parents are doing it with, for good intentions mm -hmm. it's the same thing from a religious perspective they're doing it with good intentions but that's not how it's done we develop children seeing other people as toxic if we're not doing it right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's a different different um, angle when it comes down to child development. So that's a totally maybe different topic we're talking about. Mm -hmm. But if the child grew up in an environment is very critical, that can be seen as a toxic relationship that I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. No matter what I do, I'm not good enough. So it could be the ma, it could be the mother, it could be the dad, it could be from a religious perspective, uh, still not good enough. So I don't understand what to do. Yeah. So they see the whole world as a toxic environment. Right. And both on what you said about um, you know, parents, you know, guiding kids with religion and all that, I feel like um, when it comes to religion, there's always uh, consequential learning, consequentials, you know, meaning. You know, if you do this, if you do this right, you know, you're going to happen. If you do, do this right, you're going to follow. So, it's, you know, there's always a yes and a no. There's no gray area. It's one in black. Mm -hmm. So, I feel like uh, if a child has been brought up in that environment, you know, it's it's, it's very detrimental to that, that child's mental health. I, 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 don't, I don't doubt that. Mm -hmm. and, and parents forget the chance or the opportunity to teach the child how to love mm -hmm. the religion. Or if they really, if they feel like this is the right thing for the children, well, teach your child how to love their religion, mm -hmm. not to teach them how to be a machine mm -hmm. fearful. or fearful. They will put fear in their hearts. They would not. They would not do it out of love. They would do it out of reaction, so they don't get in trouble from mommy or from daddy. Mm -hmm. And that's not good. That'll last for as long as their children. Once they grow up, they tell you bye bye. Yeah. So they see the whole family as toxic because mm -hmm. I cannot exist. I'm not heard. Even though I worked hard uh, studying on my exam last night, that's why I missed a prayer in the morning. But they don't acknowledge my hard work. They just beat me up for not praying on time. Mm -hmm. That's not good. Yeah. But but these are the stories we hear, and these are the, some of the people we work with. 
but uh, it's really important to understand that you are you are maybe seen as a toxic person in a relationship despite the good intentions that you have it it, it doesn't play a role in it so that's why communication is very important that's why understanding your role in the relationship is very very important what's your role in that relationship at that stage mm -hmm. it's important just like uh, you know two people going on dates the, the role of the guy at the beginning of the relationship is to bring flowers and and chocolates all that disappears after that because the phase no i'm just joking <laughs> 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 no i mean that's that's how we nurture a relationship you guys i mean all the, the people who are in relationships there is the dates don't stop uh, after she says yes right uh, you guys need to really be more proactive and i talk more to the men you really need to reach to your spouse and take her out on a date, surprise her. She would love that. And these are the things that would nurture relationships. So we're talking about a lot of toxic things, but we also not we need to talk about the positive things that we can bring and nurture to, uh, to, uh, to a relationship. Okay. And same thing with parents. Don't take your children on a date, but you can take them out on an outing. And you can take one child at a time. That really makes that child feel very special. So even though you maybe have good intentions and your child sees you as toxic, by doing this little thing, so the child's like, hmm, I bet my dad is not so bad after all. And they start to, to question that my dad is toxic and all that stuff. I think when it comes to couples, if the relationship hasn't been that great and suddenly someone is doing nice, yeah, well, they can he can tell her that we watched this video with relationary and Isaac. <laughs> and they mentioned that. Right. Also, you're talking about relationship uh, relationships with parents, right? So Sometimes parents are very hard on the kids. Mm -hmm. you know, they tell them, you know, you don't need to get a get a degree, get a good job. You know, make sure you're you're financially stable and all that. And they do it in a way that is very, in a way, harsh or a little bit too little too much. And kids take it the wrong way. But I feel like children should also take the time to understand that all of this comes from the right place with the right intentions. Maybe the approach is not as pretty, mm -hmm. but the intention is pure. Right, right. There's no doubt. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen any parent had bad intentions to their children. Mm -hmm. I have never met, I never heard, never seen, uh, I never, you know, read any articles or anything about that. Mm -hmm. uh, all parents have great intentions, uh, and they compete with intentions towards their children. Mm -hmm. They're misunderstood. There's no doubt. So, so I would say it's a fifty-fifty. Mm -hmm. The parents also need to be mindful. That the child's limitation on the resources and understanding is not, it's not as developed as the, the parent. Exactly. They need to be mindful that, uh, you know, I'm stressed, like as a parent, I'm stressed at work. I really hate my boss. I hate my work. I, I hate traffic. I, I come home so stressed. Do you want me to talk to my child and talk sense into them? I cannot. I have to demand. I have to want it. I want it now and I want it to be done mm -hmm. because I want it to be for them to be better than me. And I want it to happen quick. Mm -hmm. As a parent, this is what happens. I mean, this is why parents are pissed off at all the time, most of the, most of the times. So, for the parent to be able to manage all that and put a smile on their face with their with their children, that doesn't happen. I mean, it happens in Netflix, but and in movies and Hollywoods and Bollywoods, but in real life, it's not easy. 
just imagine that you are going on a gym, uh, going to a gym to build your muscles from 8 in the morning or 7 in the morning until 7 at night. You're working out. You know, putting all these um, weights between on your arms and your legs. You're just working your whole body. You come home and the family tell you, okay, now here is another 200 kilos that you need to work out on. And you're like, oh, yeah, sure, no problem. You're like, you're not going to be able to. And that's what we call emotional regulation. And emotions are stressed throughout the whole day because you have been working on emotions and you've been putting a smiley face on people that you hate and you cannot stand because it's part of what is needed to be done. <clears throat> and towards the end of the day, all these emotions are drained. Just like your muscles are drained from working out for, from 7 to 7. So your emotions are not going to be there. Your positive emotions are gone. Mm -hmm. They're used up. You need to sleep. You need to refresh. You need to... So, the, 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 you know, you can reach out to professionals to help you how to manage, how to regulate your emotions throughout the day. So when you get home, you still have positive, positive emotions for the rest of your family. And that's really the key. Mm -hmm. That's really the key. I understand what you're saying, and I totally, I totally agree with you. Mm -hmm. But I say it's the fifty percent on the children mm -hmm. and fifty percent on the parents. Right. Yeah, children. You guys. I mean, everybody have. We all have uh, smartphones. When did we, uh, you know, use it? Like, how do I cope with my difficult dad? How many child out there use their phone <laughs> and and Google that? I doubt it. But we can do it. Yeah. You, you have that 50% in your hand. You have that ability to initiate your part. What can you do about your 50% instead of being demanding or uh, feeling that you are entitled to your dad's kindness? So that's really important. So yeah, I would say 50-50. Uh, can I ask, what happens if it's only 50%? You know, you're giving your effort, you know, you're trying to improve that relationship, whether if it's a romantic relationship or a relationship with your parents. But it's only one way. Like it's you're not receiving back any feedback. Mm. Would you say that this would really change their behavior, make them more disobedient to their parents, perhaps? Well, like, it's a limping relationship, right? I mean, you're running on only on one leg. Mm. How far can you go? How fast can you go? It, it you're gonna really strain that leg really, really fast. Uh, and it depends on how resilient how resilient you are, how important that relationship. Like for example, if you're taking care of your elderly. You're running a 50% relationship. Mm. You don't expect, I mean, seriously, you just need mm. to have a higher purpose, transcending everything you're doing for a higher purpose, and that's the other 50%. So you expect, like from a religious perspective, we expect pahalas from God, mm -hmm. right? We call it pahalas? Yeah. yeah. Pahalas. So that's another Malay word. Need to write it down. <laughs> so, so we get rewards, right? So that's the 50%. That's going to keep helping me charged. But if I don't have that 50% from a person that is normal, that's also my choice. Do I really want the rewards from God because I'm being patient? Or enough is enough. It's also my call. Does that answer your question? Yeah, but I want to add on to that. Sure. Have, how would someone be able to see that, you know, they're not receiving any of like rewards back from the relationship? You know, how would they change their mind and see that there's a great, it serves a greater purpose to sustain this relationship for me, myself in the future, and to this person? How do they, how do they notice that they're not being replicated? I mean, the 50% is not being... Yeah, it's not being replicated, but how do they know that it's for the better? 
Oh, and okay, so that's the upbringing, that's the culture, that's the environment. Mm. That that plays a big role in that perception. Mm. So it puts a priority for them. What is more priority for me? Is really to, to for me to like from for example from a religious perspective, if I want to be accepted by God, uh, I need to take care of my child even if they're ignoring me, right? I need to be there for them. I need to ignore. I need to be there for my wife even though she's not being. Uh, nice to me. I can. I need to be nice to my pet, my husband, even if he's not nice to me, because I'm doing it because my right that I have, that I have a covenant, that I have a a commitment that I put my name under the name of God, and I have to fulfill my duty towards that contract, which is the marriage, right? It's done in the church or done in the, in the in. So therefore, I need to fulfill my commitment to that. I need to do my part, because at the end of the day, I'm going to be facing God. So therefore. They're holding themselves accountable based on that environment, based on that religious expectation for a higher purpose. But if they're doing it to please mom and dad, that's not going to stay long. That's not going to stay long. I mean, there's some religion, uh, there's another, there's a specific school in a Christian belief that the divorce is not acceptable. So how do you live like that? So how do you, how, for how long you can stay like that? Right? So... I believe if it's, it's uh, the, if I'm not mistaken, it's the Catholic school. They, there is no divorce in marriage. Once you're married, you're married. You're, once you're married, you're married forever. And you just work it out. What if that is the circumstances? What do they do? Well, their chances is really to, to live up to get the reward from God. I mean, that's, that's the best shot that they have. But if they're doing it so they don't look bad in the church or they're not, so they'd be looked out, down upon, that's not the right way to do it. That's not the right way to do it. Uh, and some of them, they say, like, forget it. I don't want to do it with you with the church. And there's some of them, they also do the same thing with Islam. And there's like, forget Islam, forget it. I need to look after myself. I cannot live like this. And that's their call. That's their decision. So you have the three factors. is that The environment, personal, or uh, beliefs. So these are the three factors that really impact our decisions and what we do. Last year, um, in... in, in uh... In October, I actually lost my grandmother. Mm. So, but she had a wonderful life. Uh, before she passed away, she had a stroke. So uh, a lot of her, uh, you know, her community today wasn't as as pleasant. And uh, it was just, you know, my my dad, the entire family taking care of her, and we didn't expect that fifty percent. You know, mm. we were so focused on giving our fifty percent, mm. and um, we were, we weren't expecting anything. Mm. You that at that at that age, you know, you you mean it's best for us to give up whatever that we can, right? So, on what you said, it's was quite beautiful, right? Well, I appreciate that, yeah. and thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I made a spill earlier, and that kind of distracted me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, yeah, it's it's really um, it's really hard and difficult when we lose a close uh, close person to us, and especially grandparents and. Mm -hmm. Uh, children usually they're closest the closer sometimes to the grandparents than the parents most of the times mm -hmm. and um, i'm really uh I'm, I'm touched by your story i really appreciate that thanks for sharing that well uh three, three sessions it's been amazing we we finished all the questions yeah we have oh wow cool. that's great yeah. any questions from you guys so how how did how is your impression listening to if you guys I hope you were listening. <laughs> What's okay? I have a question. If you don't have a question, what's your impression about this talk? What do you think about this talk? What are your thoughts? What's your takeaway? <laughs> <laughs>
got it. Got it. All right. I think I went smoking with that. Yeah. Like, um, I think some, sometimes, like, I mean, I know that sometimes the trauma is not someone's fault, but I think it's their responsibility to try and heal from it. They try and change themselves for it. So, like, if someone is hurt by what you did, you don't get to say that, you don't get to say, like, indifferently, you know? Yeah. So, if they call you out for it or, like, give you feedback, I think that if you should try to change for the better. Yeah. yeah, something you just triggered a memory in my in my head. I appreciate that, Clarice. So um, one thing is that you what you you really said is spot on, a hundred percent. Like trauma, actually, trauma is an opportunity to grow stronger, no doubt about it. Uh, and how we go about it, this is really what what things can go more challenging. Uh, stronger people or more successful people, they've gone through a lot more failures than the mediocres. 100%. I, I know that for, for a fact. Those who failed in lives, those who faced uh, uh, tragic uh, experiences or traumatizing experiences, they're much more resilient at the end of the day. Uh, so sometimes what happens is that they're not resilient the right way. And the reason behind that is, um, you, you see, we used to live in small communities where the, the parents were a community, not just two people. The parents were close to the grandparents, they're close to the grandparents, and so forth. So that's the community. It was all related. So the wisdom stayed there. But after we left the kampong, right, and we traveled across the globe, the wisdom within the family is no longer there if you're moving to a different part of the world or mm -hmm. you're moving to the city. It's not as easily accessible. So that wisdom of helping the person or how to maximize from trauma is not there. It's a disconnect. So if you reach out to your dad or your mom, they might not know how to help you because they didn't receive it from their grandma, uh, from their mom and their dad, from your grandma and your grandpa. So there's a disconnect in knowledge. And that has been buried. I'm sure that this is like three generations before us. I feel like the, the, the majority of the, of the useful knowledge that would help us to grow from trauma had died. And it only exists in books. I strongly believe that. I would like to, I would like to argue that the purpose of the psychologist is to bring that wisdom into yourself to untangle that wisdom. Because I, I mean, even though that knowledge is a disconnect, but I strongly believe also that we have that capability to develop it once we are giving the right guidance. And that's what we do in therapy. Most of the time, if not all, is that we enable, we facilitate the growth. Mm -hmm. And it's your way to growth. It's your skills, it's your abilities. Sometimes not having the right coach, right? is not gonna help you be the right player. Having the right coach is going to help you be the right player. Have you ever seen a team, a successful team without a coach? No. Have you seen a successful, a successful player without a coach? Have you seen a successful student without a, a good teacher? Mm -hmm. There has to be someone there to help you through it. If you're not getting that support from someone close to you, reach out, reach out, reach out. There's really nothing else to do other than reaching out. Yeah, that's that's what you triggered in my mind, and I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. hmm.
Okay, like the healing process is gonna be a very long and difficult road, but I feel like at the end of it, you know, we're gonna come out coming. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I always say that psychotherapy works. <laughs> I have no doubt in that. A hundred percent convinced. It just takes time. Yeah. Just like how much I believe bodybuilding when you work out muscles, it works. You want muscles? You just need to go to the gym. It works. It just takes time. It needs. It's painful. Yes, it's painful. Same thing. It's a different type of pain. It's emotional pain. But we are here to help you and work with you at your pace. So if you're now, if you are with the right professional that you feel comfortable with, you can we can really untangle a lot of opportunities in your life to be more successful in your future life. Yeah. Right. Right. So what are your thoughts, guys, about the talk? Who thoughts that? Everybody's. Everybody. Yeah, but they're not talking. Yeah, our name is Alia, right? Oh, sorry. Sasha, Sasha you are. You told me that yesterday. I forgot. Sasha, what are your thoughts? She said like that. What do you say? Oh, no. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> uh, what about uh, around the table? What are what are your takeaways, guys? And for me, it's a really good reminder. I can I can share that. It's a really good reminder uh, about what's happening out there, and it's a good reminder that we are capable. We're we're learned, and we're not going to be able. I'm I'm not going to be able to help anyone unless they come and reach out. But that's just for me a reminder of how much work we need to do to destigmatize how people see trauma, how people see mental health. That's my takeaway. Mm -hmm. My takeaway is that um, I'm very thankful for all of the clients that I've seen that they decided to take that step to reach out. And it's very rewarding for the client and myself to see that they come to the stage where they they feel that they are much more rebuilt. They are much more stronger. Even if there are um, anything that would somewhat trigger some of their traumas, they can come to the session and say, you know what, I learned this, I learned that. And it takes a really long time. So I really appreciate those that have taken a step to reach out and I urge more people out there to reach out it doesn't matter how big, how small your concern is. There's no, there's nothing wrong to reach out. Uh, I think my takeaway would be, it was quite interesting. It was very insightful that you gave us a lot of different perspectives that I don't think the youth could see. For example, the 50%, you know, you giving your efforts and to the person giving the effort, it takes two people to tangle it. takes two to tangle. Mm. I don't think most people see that. Usually when one side is falling down, they would just perceive the pain and they would not want to seek help. They do not want to reach out. They just want to think it's a learning experience, although it's a learning experience, but they do not realize that that could affect the other people that they will meet. True. Yeah. yeah. That's so right. That's right. I think that was quite insightful. Uh, I don't really know what to say, but that's from what they did. <laughs> You're going to your toe as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, I guess my main takeaway is that no man's an island. Mm. You know, whatever it is you're doing in life, you know, it's best not to do it alone. Mm. It's best to have people around you, people that you yeah. love, people that support you. That's really you know, good. Go through your day to days. You know, the Great Wall of China wasn't built in one day. Mm -hmm. Right. And mm -hmm. then we are we are the same way. You know, we don't we don't expect ourselves to be amazing and you know having no 
traumatic, you know, like, you know having gone through traumatic events, you know, sleep from it like instantly. Uh, it takes time, it takes effort, it takes work, and uh, having loving, nurturing people around you will definitely ease the process. Yeah, but you're relying on the people you love, I guess. Yeah, that's, that's the way to take away. That's beautiful. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate everybody's feedback here. And mm -hmm. uh, should we wrap it up? Yeah. All right. Uh, can I wrap it up? Sure. <laughs> right. So I hope you guys enjoyed today's podcast with Relationary. So if you guys do enjoy it, uh, we have a news to break to you. Is that Relationary is collaborating with Isaac and Sunway, and we'll be holding our event at Sunway University. It'll be held at 4th to 5th February from 8.30 to 6.30 p.m. Okay. And... It's called Unwind. That's the theme for this year. And what we're going to do is that through this event, we're going to help you embrace your past to grow for a better future. Nice. Some key activities include empowering talk, workshops, commit space, panel discussion, and a reflection space for you to reflect the throughout event. Nice. Uh, for more information, you guys can check out on our socials. All right, once again, uh, thank you, Relationary, for having us here. Right, and it's so been a pleasure to have this talk. It's a pleasure. Thank you guys for coming over. And uh, for everybody, uh, stay happy. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's my signature ending.